Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio Show. Here's a quick announcement. Our October Heart-Centered and Passion-Driven Inspirations for Better Living digital magazine, designed to help moms build a better future for themselves, their families, and loved ones, is currently available at www.inspirationsforbetterliving.com. This month's theme is Autumn of Mindfulness. The magazine offers inspirational stories from our dedicated team of experts to help you navigate your current situation with confidence in your motherhood journey as the COO, if not the CEO of your family. So please go to www.inspirationsforbetterliving.com and treat yourself to some engaging, entertaining, and enlightening stories. You deserve it. As for our radio show today, my guest for this morning is Deidre Maloney. She is the founder of Highgate Racing, Canada's largest all-female competitive cycling team. Deidre raises money for their youth development program and advocates for women in sports. She is also the co-founder of a women's support group in her own community. Deidre believes in sharing our stories to cultivate more collective healing. Deidre's memoir, Unfold Me, is a lesson of self-acceptance in the most profound way. She believes we must face the darkest part of ourselves to be wholehearted. The unfolding of herself, who felt so much shame from the life she had led as a young adult, will help us connect with a side of ourselves that will bring us home to our truth. Walking through the fire of complex emotions is the only way to move forward. Deidre and I will be having a conversation about her remarkable life's journey and how we can successfully unfold layers of ourselves to experience harmony and joyful living. Good morning, Dee. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing today? Hey, Johnny. It's so great to be here. Thanks for having me on your show. Wonderful. It is a pleasure to have you to join me from Canada. Unfold Me is a very compelling read. The book is definitely a page-turner and extremely insightful. Thank you for sharing your very touching and moving story, but yet it's extremely inspirational. Congratulations on this release. Oh, thank you so much. I'm really excited uh, for it to be out, and it is quite a page-turner is what I hear from my readers. <laughs> they start it, and they can't stop. <laughs> there you go. There you go. And that's what writing is all about, so I'm really happy for you. Let us start by getting to know you a little bit better. Please give us a quick walkthrough of your life from childhood to the present moment. Yeah, so I had a really uh, colorful childhood and uh, teenage years. It was very tumultuous. I grew up in you know a middle-class family, but um, mm-hmm. there was a lot of emotional neglect in my home. My parents um, you know, were raised in poverty, and they were able to bring themselves out of it. But through that, you know, they worked hard and they were under a lot of stress and they never really were able to offer us emotional support or connection. Um, I was sexually abused as a child at the age of nine and that turned my whole world around. And I ended up um, looking to men uh, for love. I wasn't feeling it at home. And so I thought, okay, I had this sexual experience already at such a young age. It really twisted my mind as to what love meant. So by the age of 10, I had met a 16-year-old boy who raped me. And from there, it was just this downhill slide into, you know, promiscuity sexually. And it wasn't too long after when I got involved in drugs at the age of 14 to start numbing all of these feelings because now I'm, I'm doing all of these sexual acts and not feeling good about myself, not understanding it all. And so I'm using the drugs to try to cope with it, uh, with these mental health issues that were being created. And it, uh, I ended up in some really poor relationships. I got pregnant at the age of 18. I hadn't finished school yet. Um, things were just really on a downward slide. And, uh, you know, finally, by the age of 25, I was kind of able to start to turn my life around, um, you know, through a series of events, getting diagnosed with bipolar disorder, getting put on medication, and eventually kind of meeting the man of my dreams. Um, fast forward a little bit more, you know, we, I have four kids, I homeschooled mm-hmm. them all, I was able to completely transform my life and turn it around. 
And um, sport, actually, you mentioned the Highgate Racing was a big um, player in that because it is where I kind of first started to build some self-confidence and belief in myself was through sport. So that's why I'm such a huge advocate, particularly to women in sport um, now. And uh, it's such a big part of my life. I do cycling and triathlon uh, competitively. So that's kind of a little overall. (laughs) (laughs) Very compelling. I mean, it's amazing. We all have our own journey. Like, can you imagine when we were born and someone gave us a file? Oh, D, this is you. Okay, just follow this folder. Yeah, I bet. (laughs) It doesn't work out. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I love the way the idea of talking about slowly but surely unfolding yourself into the person that you truly are and it's from inside out. So how different is your life's journey now compared to, say, the vision that you have when you were a teenager? Because we all have vision, whether we like it or not, we all have an idea of what we want to be. Yeah, you know, surprisingly enough, because I was so mixed up as a teenager, Mm -hmm. my life has turned out pretty similar to what I had envisioned. I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom, so I homeschool Mm -hmm. my kids. And I wanted to have four children, even though at the time I didn't have a strong family bond. Mm -hmm. Um, I had three other siblings, so there was four of us. Um, So I think I just kind of had that in my mind, that four is like the number of a family to have Mm -hmm. uh, that amount of kids. Uh, So I would say things, well, I mean, things are much better than I could have imagined they would ever be uh, for me. Uh, but definitely it's it's kind of the way I pictured it. It's, you know, happily married, mm-hmm. the white picket fence, the four kids. Uh, so, yeah, that's a little bit of a surprise, actually, when I when you want to think about that. Interesting. <laughs> so looking back, and this is interesting enough, we always talk about in the moment, right? Because when we are supposedly sane, we never think about today. We always think about tomorrow or yesterday. <laughs> But yeah, I imagine that when you were going through the, say, chaos or at that moment in time, everything is in the moment in so many ways. So when did you consciously see the deviation of what was, what is, and what can, if any? Uh, I would say that was when I started meditating. And honestly, that was mm-hmm. only a few years ago. Uh, meditation. I I remember talking to my therapist, my husband Uh and I, in our first year of marriage, we get into therapy because neither of us know how to communicate. We both Mm -hmm. came from dysfunctional families. Uh, Mm -hmm. So we get into couples therapy and I I tell her, like, I I just don't know what's wrong with me. Like, I'm always on the go. I'm always trying to do more and I'm driving myself crazy. She's like, that's because you're not in the present moment. What are you talking about in the present moment? I couldn't understand what she was saying. She's like, we have to slow down every day, take time to meditate and just be in the moment. So Mm -hmm. that was the first time that idea had kind of been planted. So I tried this meditation she was talking about and it, you know, was okay, but it didn't really take It wasn't until a few years later when I got into individual therapy, when I had a therapist that said, made me do a three-week challenge of meditating every day, that that is when I really understood the idea of slowing down every day. And it it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter what's going on in your life. We can make it all disappear Mm -hmm. if we just are in the moment, right? Mm -hmm. We can make all Mm -hmm. the bad stuff go away momentarily and just have that moment of peace, inner peace. We can always Mm -hmm. find that inner peace within if we just can take the time. Mm -hmm. Very, very interesting. For me, it was when I danced ballroom for that sort of three and a half minute, right? Because you're in the zone. So dancing with heart and passion creates a lifetime of bliss in the three and a half minute song. Oh, I love it. (laughs) You know, I suppose if I think back, I say this often, my first form of meditation was exercise. I just didn't know I was meditating. Right. So being in the gym, lifting the weight, right? And you have to focus. And you're just counting the reps and you're in the moment. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, when I think back, that really was my first form of meditation. And you're right. It is. You are present. It's beautiful. Yeah. For that just moment in time, it seems like who cares? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. We're at our best, so to speak. So it very, is. Very it's magic. <laughs> How abrupt was the transformational shift for you? 
Um, you know, I say uh, around the age of 23, I was mm-hmm. um, at the tail end of my drug abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a very bad cocaine addiction. And at uh, this time, so I'm 23, so my daughter is about four years old. Um, I was able to get sober through my pregnancy and for about two years after she was born, but I ended up getting back on the drugs. And I was uh, working as a personal trainer in a gym. Mm-hmm. And my one of my coworkers, uh, you know, confronted me and said, what's going on with you? You know, every Monday you come in, you've got sores under your nose, you look so tired, you're kind of in a bad mood. And then, you know, by Thursday, you're all perky, you're looking good again, and then the cycle <laughs> just repeats itself. Right. I was like, oh, you know, I'm probably just drinking too much on the weekend. I party a bit. And he's like, well, are you using drugs? And I was like, no, not really. And he pressed on. No, come mm-hmm. on, tell us the truth. So I was like, yeah, I guess I am. And he's like, well, how bad is it? And I was honest. And I said, well, I pretty much start, you know, Friday night, and I don't sleep until Sunday mm-hmm. night. I just party all weekend. Yeah. And he slapped me across the face with his words he said you are a mother you should be ashamed of yourself you are supposed to be a role model for that little girl and those words stung me so badly and Mm -hmm. it was just enough to completely rock my world I called all my friends I told them I wasn't hanging out anymore and I got myself a second job on the weekends so that I wouldn't go out Mm -hmm. and uh that was it. That, that I think that was a huge transformational shift for me. And obviously, I started therapy at the same time. So I, I really immersed myself in getting support. And that was a pivotal moment for me, for sure. Very, very interesting. Did any life epiphanies from then on further facilitated the transformational process? Well, it was shortly after that, um, that I came across the book, The Secret. And mm-hmm. I had never understood the idea of positive thinking or that we could control the way we thought. Mm-hmm. I just assumed that whatever was going on in my head was what was going on in my head. And the right. secret taught me that we could actually change our thoughts. So if I'm thinking negative, then I can just say, no, I want to think positive right now. I'm not going to play with that thought. And that was really another transformational point. Uh, I had just all of a sudden became this super positive person because I was like, no, I don't want to play with that negative thought. I don't want to think about that. And I'm going to switch things around and I'm going to start dreaming big. I'd never really had dreams for myself. I had just kind of, you know, I always just thought I would get married, have kids and stay home, which is kind mm-hmm. of similar to what I do, except I have all these beautiful projects right going on now. But I had never imagined myself doing all of that. Uh, so, yeah, I would say that the, the power of positive thought was another huge shift for me. Very interesting. As you went along, we hear this all the time. You're in the rhythm of life. Yeah, but which rhythm of life are you in? Right? <laughs> That's the most important yeah. thing. Yeah, we're always in the flow. I think nobody is not in the flow. So the question is, yeah. that will be interesting to know. It's like, well, I'm in the flow. Uh, you're in the flow. <laughs> but what flow <laughs> are we in, right? So uh, at what point did you decide that you are on the wrong flow, so to speak? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I also think when I got on the medication, actually, for the bipolar mm-hmm. disorder to be treated, mm-hmm. Right. That helped me to balance out this emotional roller coaster that I was having that was, you know, causing me to use drugs, causing me to yeah. be in these un- toxic, unhealthy relationships. And so kind of being able to balance that out. And I think a lot of people could do that with meditation um, really helped me to get into a good flow. Right. Mm-hmm. And start to feel more connected to myself. I think yeah. that was, it is that, that disconnection. And I think a lot of people that have experienced trauma, we have that. We disconnect from ourselves because we don't trust. And so getting, falling kind of back into yourself and, and being mm-hmm. connected with yourself, um, that for me, yeah, definitely medication helped that. And I'm no longer on medication. I was able to come off of it uh, three years ago now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think due to my very, very healthy meditation practice. Beautiful. That's wonderful. So why did you write Unfold Me? Yeah, Unfold Me started out as a little project, actually, in a group therapy that I was doing. I had my individual therapy, and then I started this group therapy that my counselor was running. 
um, which is really powerful. If you if you have a group that's done well, you can really make some great progress in it as personal growth. Uh, so one of the projects that the group leader gave us was to just write a paragraph or a couple pages, and the, it should start with, there once was a little girl. And then you just talk about whatever you want, you know, that happened to you. Mm-hmm. And so I started writing this out, and all of a sudden I got to like 3,000 words, and I thought, oh, wow, I have a chapter here, and I really <laughs> feel like I could keep going. Maybe I should. And I'd always thought my my life was like a movie, like some of the things mm-hmm. that I would tell people. I mean, I even have friends that have read the book, and they've said, like, did that really happen? Right? Because it just <laughs> seems so, like, it's so crazy, right? That Like all mm-hmm. of these things could happen to one person. And uh, so it encouraged me to, to write the book. And it was very therapeutic. I felt a huge release. Of course, it was difficult at times to write some of it. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you know, there was a lot of fear around my family. What were they going to say? What were they going to think? Right. Um, right. And then so writing it was one thing, but then publishing it is another. <laughs> and so my my inspiration to publish the book was that I didn't want other women that had the level of shame that I felt about the mistakes I had made in the past. And I made some really, really bad ones. I mean, you know, to be involved in prostitution and to not only admit that to yourself, but to share it with the world, mm-hmm. it, it, you really have to overcome some serious shame <laughs> to do that. Yeah. And I thought, I know there are other women out there that have done things to themselves that they can't even admit to themselves, that they are so ashamed of. And this book is for them. They have to know that they're not alone and that they don't have to hide and that they are worthy of love. And so that was my motivation. Anytime I thought, oh, God, I can't let anybody know these things. I'm just going to die of embarrassment. (laughs) I thought, no, this book is not about me. This is about the women that need to hear my story. That's true, though. I really agree with that. This is a fascinating book. And I would definitely add on to the fact that when I say this, I say this respectfully. Don't think that, oh, well, yeah, I went through a series of rapes or taken advantage of and prostitution, then this book is for me. If I'm not through that part of my journey, I don't need it. That's contrary to what this book is all about. This book is about getting into yourself and looking at all the things that we've gone through, the good, bad, and ugly, so to speak, and how do you get out of it, which sets up to the concept of I love the way you talk about unfolding yourself. Would you please share with us the concept of layers? Yeah, so the idea of unfolding myself, um, you know, my girlfriend, she had Mm -hmm. said a speech about um, young swimmers. She's a coach. Mm -hmm. And the idea was that she wanted to take these young swimmers who were like butterflies in the cocoon and the cocoon needed to be opened very gently and the wings needed to be unfolded very delicately. And um, they needed to be unfolded in this gentle manner to, to really become their best. And when I heard this, I felt very sad for myself because I thought nobody ever thought of me that way as a child. So I said, but you know what, I'm going to unfold myself now very delicately. And so that was the idea with the book is just, just kind of peeling back the layers of myself and unfolding like what is the core of me who what is this Mm -hmm. core person all about and just because you know we have all these mistakes that really built a cocoon around me all of my mistakes made this wall which enclosed me in this cocoon and I wanted to open it back up and get back down to who is Deirdre Maloney right and I think that's something we all need to do and we're we're so afraid to show our vulnerable side right but we still fear mm-hmm. judgment and and we just want to be accepted but i have found um that this unfolding of myself has actually created the ultimate friendships and acceptance of me i thought i'm going to publish this book no one's going to speak to me ever again they're going to think i'm (laughs) disgusting and crazy and da 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 but it is the opposite people are so drawn to it and they're like wow that it's so brave to share that way and so i think it's what people crave like we want Mm -hmm. that deep connection right so Mm -hmm. that's where like don't don't be afraid to unfold your own layers and and peel back with someone that you trust you know you may not want to share it with the world like i did 
Um, but definitely, you know, find yourself a, an amazing therapist or a really good friend or a small support group and unfold yourself because it is life-changing. It's transformational. Right. So true. And I love the analogy of the butterfly. No question about that. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, TuneIn Radio, MixCloud, Podchaser, Listen Notes, and Hop Hopper. I'm Johnny Tan, your host. Here's a quick reminder to treat yourself to the October edition of our hot centered and passion-driven Inspirations for Better Living digital magazine at www.inspirationsforbetterliving.com. My guest for this morning is Deidre Maloney. She is the founder of Highgate Racing, Canada's largest all-female comparative cycling team, Deirdre raises money for their youth development program and advocates for women in sports. She's also the co-founder of a women's support group in her own community. Deirdre believes in sharing our stories to cultivate more collective healing. Deirdre's memoir, Unfold Me, is a lesson on self-acceptance in a profound way. Deirdre and I are having a conversation about her remarkable life's journey and how we can successfully unfold layers of ourselves to experience harmony and joyful living. The How do you define fear? Mm, I have lived in fear for most of my life. And, uh, you know, fear is usually when we're afraid of feeling pain or we feel threatened. And a lot of times these threats, they're self-inflicted. They're just mm-hmm. ideas that we have in our mind, right, that can create fearful feelings within. Mm-hmm. And I find that, um, you know, a lot of times the fear, if I'm feeling afraid about something, I try to think of it, okay, this is a good thing because I get to practice courage and I get to try to overcome this. And I think that is uh, really important to acknowledge with fear is don't let it stifle you don't let it make you small take it on as a challenge and think okay how am I going to overcome this and how am I going to get to practice my courage right now because they kind of go hand in hand the fear and the courage right if you're feeling scared Mm -hmm. that means you have to be brave about something and so I guess understanding that for me made fear a lot um, easier to manage because I used to be someone who would just play small or hide or try to cover it up with perfectionism which I still struggle with but um, <laughs> yeah, I think it's a good opportunity. And we all to do, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a terrible, terrible thing. Yeah. Yeah. Perfectionism is. Did fear contribute to your survival in many ways? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, fear was always around the corner when you're living that lifestyle that I used mm-hmm. to live, um, you know, drugs and. Uh, illegal activity and all of that, you were always uh, fearful. Um, I don't know how it benefits me today. I think the the thing that benefits me most from my past today uh, would be like risky behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was always willing to take risks and now I am still willing to take risks. And so it's been an advantage now because I can do it in a healthy way, let's say with through right. real estate, investing money, things like that. Right, um, right. where a lot of people may be cautious about it. So um, that's one of the skills that I was able to move forward with. But uh, fear is something yeah, that I had to overcome from my past big time. And definitely, you know, the meditation and uh, and therapy helped me work through that. I find positive mm-hmm. affirmations, too, are a great way to work through fears. So if you're having those mm-hmm. negative doubts and self-talk like i can't do this right we just flip it around i'm going to be good at this at some time right and Mm -hmm. the positive affirmations have been a great way for me to overcome my fears as well so true so when Mm -hmm. did fear turn into shame Mm. so i would say the fear you know was first uh, you're just living in fear when I was, you know, living this lifestyle. You're kind of on the edge. You, you're, you can't think about what's next. I think the shame kicked in when I started living kind of more of a normal life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I got a regular job and, you know, I started having friends and, you know, there's no more drugs involved. So then it's sort of when the shame kicked in of, 
oh, God, what did I do in my past? I can never share this with anybody. I thought that I was taking all of these secrets to my grave. I Mm -hmm. even imagined myself never sharing it with my future husband, who I hadn't met yet. Um, You know, I thought all of this stuff was going to the grave with me because there was so much shame around it. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. the fear was kind of in the moment living the experiences. And then the shame is like, okay, now I've come out of it, but I can never let anybody know about these things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What's amazing is that I think that critical moment is during that bridging period because fear is cool because you got your group to hang out with. (laughs) And then you got this new group that you're trying to connect because that's what you see as your vision of your future, right? Because the shame had directed you to that vision. But then internally, like, oh, my God, I'm on this bridge right here. I may not be accepted on both sides of the river, so to speak. And I'm sure that's extremely challenging. (laughs) Yeah, you do. You feel like you're in between. That Mm -hmm. shame kind of holds you in between. And you think, if I... If I become vulnerable and I open up, these people will not accept me. They only accept me for this version of myself that I'm putting out here, right? right. And that um, I felt like that was really holding me back. It was holding me back from having deep, meaningful mm-hmm. connections with friends. Yeah. Very interesting. When did you take ownership for your choices in life versus perhaps maybe pointing a finger to being bipolar. Not that you're not bipolar and not that bipolar does not cause us to think irrationally in some ways itself. But when Mm -hmm. did you like, I am the architect and designer of my life, the director of my life, basically. Yeah. I had a little bit of a nervous breakdown um, when I got pregnant with my fourth Mm -hmm. child. So my life was really well on track, you know, I'm married, my husband and I had worked through um, some couples therapy to kind of really build a strong marriage. Uh, We had, I had my first daughter and then my husband and I, we had two kids. We were kind of getting ready to retire and then I got pregnant and we weren't planning it. It was an IUD pregnancy. And this pregnancy really devastated me because, you know, we were on our path to retirement and not planning on having more kids. So it sent me into a little bit of a mental breakdown, but this was such a blessing because the breakdown forced me into some intensive therapy because I had had postpartum depression with my first two pregnancies. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, I'm I'm already depressed during the pregnancy. I'd never experienced that before. And now I'm going to have this baby. I'm really fearful of the postpartum depression. So I need to get into some serious therapy so I'm ready in case the postpartum depression kicks in. And that, um, you know, really held me um, forward in in a transformational way, this group therapy that I already um, spoke about. Yeah, so the the taking responsibility, it, it happened at that time because actually my husband, mm-hmm. so I was very depressed during this pregnancy, and mm-hmm. my husband, you know, he coddled me a little bit, but then it got to a point where he put his foot down and he said, listen, I did not sign up for this. Like, mm-hmm. we are married, we've got two other kids, I cannot have a wife at home that cannot get out of bed every day. You right. need to fix this. And I, at the time, I was just being such a victim, right? I wasn't leaving the house. Right, right. I was... Yeah. I was in my bedroom. I just couldn't function. And those words to me, I was just like, oh, my gosh, he's right. Like, I can't do this to him, to my family. I need to take control of my life here. I have the power. And uh, one great advice that he gave me, he said, just do one thing every day to Mm -hmm. to work towards the solution, whether it's Mm -hmm. calling someone, going to an appointment, working out, whatever it is, one thing a day. And so that was kind of my momentum to pull myself out of this dark depression that I had gotten myself into. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the bipolar disorder, I kind of always thought that I was messed up because I had this bipolar disorder. But mm-hmm. it was after that I got this intensive treatment through the group therapy and through my husband kind of pushing me that I started to feel really great. And I thought, mm-hmm. you know, if bipolar disorder the doctors had said that it had um, come on because of traumatic experiences. Right. You know, it had triggered the the gene or whatever that I had to kind mm-hmm. of bring mm-hmm. it about. 
I thought, if that could happen because of trauma, then why can't I rewire myself back with holistic mm-hmm. healing? That's right. And mm-hmm. yeah, so I thought, like, if you can, right? Why can you wire it one way, but you can't wire mm-hmm. it back the other way? That didn't make sense to me. <laughs> so I said, I'm going to try this holistic healing. I'm going to heal myself. And, you know, I did. I, you know, I did all the meditation and I did the yoga and the exercise and the breathing techniques and, you know, the essential oils and the self-care and the writing and the journaling and, and the reading and the, and the growth. And honestly, the doctors told me I would never come off of this medication. And it has been three Mm -hmm. years since I've had Mm -hmm. to take it. Now I'm not against going back on it. If I ever need to, I'm not against medication. Right. But I think that uh, we holistically can do things differently than what we're taught, you know, from our um, North American doctors. Sure. And, uh, yeah, so that was a great uh, experience for me in taking responsibility for myself, for my own health, my mental health, and mm-hmm. my life. Fascinating. Is that when self-acceptance, that's a very big word for you? when you talk in the mm-hmm. book, so is that when self-acceptance sort of come into the picture and help you in your journey of self-discovery and self-love? Yeah, you know, to be completely honest with you, Johnny, it's still a journey for me. I'm still sure. working on truly loving myself and truly accepting myself. Um, maybe this is lifelong, right? Like maybe this is something we, we go to the grave with and I think that's part of the journey of being here for me mm-hmm. is uh, learning to really love myself no matter what. And I just always thought, how beautiful would it be if I could love myself the way I love my children, right? Mm-hmm. If I could have mm-hmm. that type of love and acceptance for myself. So I'm still working on it. Definitely that time frame of uh, going into that dark depression and uh, getting into the intensive therapy was a huge role in self-acceptance for me. And I think hearing of other people's problems mm-hmm. and sharing your own, it, that really gives you a sense of self-acceptance because you realize you're not alone. We all have problems. We all suffer. Right. We've all had terrible things happen to us, right, on a scale. And, you know, my worst, um, my most terrible issue that's happened to me is the same as your terrible issue that's happened to you on the base of how we feel about it, Right. And so, you know, understanding that we're all the same, we all feel fear, shame, guilt, um, that really helped me to accept myself, to know that I wasn't alone in feeling those dark feelings. That's true. Very, very true. And so that's where you were walking through the process. We are always on this journey. I think the end zone appears when, respectfully, when we transit this lifetime. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I agree. Well, while you were going through this process, obviously you were mother, right? And you self-taught your kids and so forth. So how did the homeschooling side of the equation help you in your healing process? Yeah, the homeschooling has been a really interesting uh, journey for us. Uh, my oldest daughter did not do well in school at all. She really struggled. We didn't feel like we had support from the school system. Um, I didn't do well in school. My husband didn't do well in school. And yet my husband and I were both able to retire under the age of 40. So we thought, okay, we know you don't need education to have a, uh, you know, financially secure life. That this, It is possible to achieve it on your own because we did it. We know that mm-hmm. we didn't feel supported in school. We know we already had one child that didn't feel supported in school. So what are we going to do with our next round of kids, Right. So we thought, okay, do we turn to private school? You know, we're looking at the expense of it, and we just thought, oh, you know, that seems like a lot of money. My my husband says, well, what do you think about homeschooling? I thought, geez, I can't homeschool the kids. I'm not a qualified teacher. So I start researching it, and I thought, oh, you know what? I could at least do up to grade eight, right? I can figure that much out, and then we'll go from there. If, If they need more at that point, we'll figure it out. And when we started the homeschooling, it's just been so beautiful because, My husband and I, we both homeschool the kids and we have such a deep connection with them. And the things that they're learning about, it's not what the other kids at school necessarily are learning, you know, the typical math and science and things. We're really focused more on like connection and community, spirituality, 
um, loving yourself, self-acceptance, communication is such a big one for us. And also the idea of, you know, financial freedom. It's like, how do you make money, save money, and be able to live the life that you want to live and not be forced into kind of the cookie mold of the nine to five. Um, So that is really important for us to show our kids. Um, So teaching them that and seeing how responsive they are to it, how mature they are, you know, how they're capable of saving money and, you know, doing their little small businesses that they do. It's just been so amazing and it's built a lot of confidence for me around, you know, wow, okay, so I created this life, this dream life that I wanted, you know, we've, we've succeeded at financial security. And now that we're able to teach it to our kids and to see it already sprouting, the oldest one is 10. um, Mm -hmm. You know, it has been really amazing. And it's got us so connected as family and my husband and our relationship is so strong because of it. Um, We're so connected and we're so on the same page. So I think Mm -hmm. it's really helped me build a strong marriage as well, which has been amazing. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. That's really wonderful. And at 10 years old, that's the age where they're forming their own perception of yeah. what life is. So it's the timing yes. is right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. It's, parenthood is scary, but it's, uh, it's very <laughs> rewarding. And you learn so much about yourself. My children are my biggest teachers, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Yeah. You're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. Our podcasts are available on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, TuneIn Radio, Mixcloud, Podchaser, Listen Notes, and Hop Hopper. Here's a quick reminder to treat yourself to the October edition of our heart-centered and passion-driven Inspirations for Better Living digital magazine at www.inspirationsforbetterliving.com. My guest for this morning is Deirdre Maloney. She's the founder of Highgate Racing, Canada's largest all-female competitive cycling team. Deirdre raises money for their youth development program and advocates for women in sports. She's also the co-founder of a women's support group in her own community. Deirdre believes in sharing our stories to cultivate more collective healing. Deirdre's memoir, Unfold Me, is a lesson on acceptance in the most profound way. Deirdre and I are having a conversation about her remarkable life's journey and how we can successfully unfold layers of ourselves to experience harmony and joyful living. I'm your host, Johnny Tan. The how do you find yourself in the spiritual grounding concept and how did that help you to experience holistic awakening? Because it is a journey for you and you were sort of walking through the process a little bit at a time. Yeah. Spirituality for me, uh, I first came to, I went to a women's healing circle mm-hmm. and you know, it was totally new for me. I was out of my comfort zone. I walk in, we sit in a circle. She's got all the crystals out and she's burning sage and, you know, she's doing some chants. And I was just like, holy, this is weird. I'd never (laughs) experienced anything like it before, right? I hadn't been exposed to it. Mm -hmm. And then she puts us into this meditation and she asks us to, you know, see ourselves as small children and we're in a forest And so I go there and, you know, she's kind of guiding us through and I just all of a sudden just start sobbing and I'm sobbing uncontrollably and she keeps going with the meditation and I'm just thinking, oh my gosh, all these people around me, I'm disturbing the meditation, but I cannot control myself. And this is ugly crying. So she brings everyone out of the meditation. I'm still sobbing, sobbing, sobbing. And for me, I felt like in that moment, she had kind of like cracked my heart open, you know, Mm -hmm. my heart. It's like a shell was around it. It was very dark. And in that moment, I picture it as if, you know, it had kind of cracked a little bit and you could see some light spraying out. And I think that was kind of my first kind of spiritual awakening where I realized that having some spirituality in my life was needed. And I guess the sobbing was just me maybe opening up and and trying to let go of some of the pain and accepting that I needed help. And so now spirituality for me is, you know, I love doing like, you know, positive affirmations and I love sage cleansing and I love um, doing group meditations. It's my favorite. I find those so powerful. 
mm-hmm. and just connecting with other women and you know, connecting with nature and with animals and kind of looking for signs from the universe to to nudge you along and to keep you going, right? On days where you're just thinking, mm-hmm. oh, God, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> we all have those days sometimes, no matter what, right? No matter how good our life is, everyone feels mm-hmm. down sometimes. And I think it's that spirituality that, you know, really keeps me going and keeps me bright. It, it suppose gives you some purpose too right mm-hmm. um because it's it is a part of the p- personal growth journey and i think that spirituality um you know it gives you some gratitude in life it just mm-hmm. helps you to feel grateful for what you have and to slow down and kind of appreciate things very yeah. very interesting very very interesting as you live life with intentions now how do you define good vibes? Oh, the good vibes. So, <laughs> yeah, good vibes. I I like thinking of connecting with people that are on a similar vibration with mm-hmm. you. And I think as you as we kind of progress through life, you know, those vibrations might change, right? You might become mm-hmm. a little bit higher vibration and other people around you may stay at a lower and you may move away from people or move towards people. I kind of think of it being on this vibrational scale. So the good vibes for me is that I, you know, I love connecting with people that have a good vibration. And it, for me, it doesn't mean you have to be happy all the time or you can't have problems or you can't share your problems with me, right? You don't have to be happy all the time. But I suppose it's more of uh, you have to kind of have that understanding of spirituality maybe, right? And that life mm-hmm. is a gift. And so even though sometimes we struggle, that we can still practice gratitude, and so I love connecting with other people. And so I call those kind of the good vibes is that <laughs> other people that, you know, even when things are going hard, that they can still practice gratitude. They could still be happy for other people, mm-hmm. right? So I find, you know, if some people may, if they're in a bad place, like they just can't be happy for other people. And I want to be with someone or around people that even when they're feeling down, that they can still be supportive and still be right. happy for others. Yeah, so that's kind of the good vibes mean to me. Wonderful. What advice do you have for someone who feels deflated and sees themselves as a victim of circumstances? Oh, I think one of the ways to get out of that victim mentality is to help someone else. So if you're feeling sorry for yourself or you think your life is so hard, you know, go out and see how you can help someone else. So maybe you volunteer somewhere. Maybe you call a friend that you know is having a hard time. Because I find that, you know, listening to other people's troubles or really understanding and having compassion for people that are struggling, it helps lift you out of your mm-hmm. funk, right? It could be like, oh, mm-hmm. okay, you know, things could be worse. I need to be grateful for the way things are right now. So practicing gratitude is a big one. Fantastic. How can we hold hands with fear and bravery at the same time and thrive? Oh, we have to hold hold hands with them. <laughs> they go together. The fear and the bravery. You can't be brave without fear. And I'm a huge fan of Brene Brown. I just love her work. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, she talks a lot about uh, bravery and fear and uh that's it. Like we, you can't be brave without fear. And that's something I learned from her is, um, you know, if people may think bravery means you're not fearful, but it's not true because when we're actually practicing bravery, we are overcoming fear. Mm-hmm. And so I find that that's so interesting and what a beautiful dance it is to, to be able to um, combine the two and, and work them together and understand that you really don't have one without the other. Right. So true, though. Very true. Where can someone go to buy your book, get more information about you, and keep up with your latest happenings? So my book is available on Amazon, and you can also find it on my website, uh, dmaloney.com. It's D-E-E-M-A-L-O-N-E-Y.com. So Unfold Me can be bought at both of those. And I actually have a cookbook that's called Unfolding in the Kitchen that uh, you can also purchase from Amazon. Wonderful, wonderful. 
Would you please tell us about the nonprofit works that you are currently working and championing? Yeah, so my cycling team, um, it's all female, and I started it five years ago. It was just going to be a bunch of friends getting together and racing to have fun, uh, but it very quickly turned into a passion project of mine uh, where I like to take on um, young athletes. So our youngest athlete is 10 in the youth program, and then it goes up to 23, and I think Mm -hmm. we're at 10 athletes now for that program specifically. And I just love supporting these young women. For me, sport um, was a huge change for me in building self-confidence. And I know Mm -hmm. how important it is to have something like that in your life, um, especially as a woman. And in cycling, it's a very male-dominated sport. Um, So I know that girls coming into the sport don't really have a lot of support or they just don't feel supported when they're on a mixed-gender team. So I Mm -hmm. wanted to create a safe space for women to come and no matter what level they are, if they want to be um, super competitive or they just want to be a recreational cyclist, I wanted them to feel like they had a place to go. And cycling can be a really expensive sport. You know, you could spend up to $20,000 in a year with um, buying, you know, a bike and traveling expenses Mm -hmm. and race fees. So I didn't want any girls leaving the sport, especially when they're going to, you know, college and university. Mm based on affordability. So I wanted to raise funds to help um, these girls pay for, you know, certain things as much as I could help them. Um, So I do a lot of fundraising for that. I ask companies to come on board as a sponsor. And uh, so sometimes they sponsor with product or financial sponsorship. And that helps to fund our youth program and helps to keep the young women in sport, helps them to feel supported and connected in the community. And it's been a really amazing experience. Uh, the girls on the team obviously are so grateful um, for the support they receive. And uh, I just love connecting with young people. It makes me feel young. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's always nice, right, to be around young people. I think that's important, too, for um, everybody is to kind of have mixed ages groups of friends because they different ages kind of make you feel different. And so mm-hmm. I, I like I like having those friendships and the young girls on my team because – yeah, it makes me feel so youthful. <laughs> what is next for you? Uh, I want to start writing another book. I was thinking of trying something uh, fictional this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so hopefully going to start that soon. I am leaving for Arizona. We're snowbirds, so we leave Canada <laughs> and we spend our winters in Arizona. So that's coming up in a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. And hoping there to um, start writing another book. And I'll be training for a half Ironman triathlon, which I'm doing in Hawaii in June. So mm-hmm. that's kind of my big uh, sporting event that's coming up. So I'm really looking forward to that. Wonderful, wonderful. Looking back with all the experiences that you have encountered in your life, going full circle, so to speak, is there anything that you would have changed? Oh, you know what? I don't think I would change. Oh, God. Sometimes, you know, you have those thoughts like, okay, I would change this. <laughs> um, but I try not to go there. I really try to stop myself right. and just say, you know, if you didn't experience that, if you didn't have this, uh, you know, toxic relationship or you didn't, you know, party until you were 23, you wouldn't be the person you are today. And I think mm-hmm. part of what, you know, why I love giving back to the community so much is because I struggled so much Mm -hmm. and it's out of that struggle that I want to give back and Mm -hmm. I want other people to feel good and and not to have to have those struggles. So I just always go there. Like don't, you know, don't, um, no regrets, right? Because Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. those were all the lessons that I needed to learn. And I kind of like to think of it as, you know, we came down here with the script, like you said at the beginning, right? Well, yeah. if you had to had the script at the beginning, you know, would you have believed that you could do, that you would have gone through all this? <laughs> and so that's what I kind of like to think is that there was a script and that this is what I had to go through to get to where mm-hmm. I am now and to have this type of personal growth. Mm-hmm. It's funny, a lot of people I meet, you know, just mm-hmm. out and about, um, you know, if they see the life that I have now and the lifestyle that I have, they think, oh, you're so lucky. I would love to have your life. <laughs> and I almost thought, I wonder if I should start at telling them about how it actually started and then would right, they trade right, if right, they had right. to go through all that stuff. 
Because right, right. I don't think most people would. <laughs> right, right, right. You're uh, right. So true. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting. <laughs> That's yeah. right. So true. <laughs> By the way, as we're coming close to the end of the hour, since our show is about people, family, and living life, would you like to share a recipe for living with our listeners this morning? Mm, well, I like, I go to the three C's, and it's community, connection, and courage. And I try to lead my life with those three C's because I find that has been what's changed everything for me is getting connected with myself, with my higher power, with my community, being involved in the community, giving back, gives me purpose. And then having courage, right? Courage to be yourself, courage to be vulnerable, deepens your connections and in you and community. So I think those three connection community and courage if you can if you can practice those in your life you're going to be that's a good recipe for good mental health fantastic d thank you for the great recipe for living and for spending this hour with me on from my mama's kitchen talk radio to all our listeners please join me next tuesday morning november 2nd at 10 a.m central time u.s my guest will be amy newmark the publisher and editor-in-chief for chicken soup for the soul Amy and I will be having a conversation about their latest release, Chicken Soup for the Soul. Tough times won't last, but tough people will. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to FromMyMama'sKitchenTalkRadio.com. Thank you for listening and have a very blessed week. Dee, it has been a true pleasure. Thank you again and have a very blessed day. Thank you so much, Johnny. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.